Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod, and welcome to this week's Reporters Roundtable. It's about 8.30 on Friday morning, November 19. Congress is back in town. And Congress is in session as we speak. Yes, this week started with a bang when Steve Bannon turned himself into federal agents after being indicted for refusing to comply with a House committee subpoena. And this week is ending with a bang as we speak, where the House of Representatives is finally just about ready to pass President Biden's mammoth Build Back Better bill, probably with not one single Republican vote, and they might do it before the end of this podcast. In between, the House voted to censure Congressman Paul Gozar, the market soared higher as Joe Biden's polls sank lower, and the nation tensed for verdicts in two racially charged trials in Kenosha, Wisconsin and Brunswick, Georgia. So much to talk about, so little time, so let's jump right in with today's panel. Eliza Collins, politics reporter on the Hill for the Wall Street Journal, and just back from her marriage and maybe a brief honeymoon. Hi, Eliza. Hi there. Yes, we went to Santa Barbara for a few days. Oh, mini moon. It was fabulous. Great spot. And David Jackson joining us, national political correspondent for USA Today. Hi, David. Hey, Bill. How you doing? I'm great. And we hope to be joined um, by Jennifer Habergorn. Uh, one of our regulars, a congressional reporter for the LA Times, who is on duty as we speak, uh, but hopefully she can jump in for a minute or so. So let's start with this vote. It was going to be last night, but it was delayed. Is there any doubt, Eliza, that this vote will pass today, uh, this morning, uh, with any, with not one Republican vote? That's what it looks like? I think we can expect no Republicans will vote for this bill. And I think we can expect this bill to pass. A lot of the wrangling was really done a couple of weeks ago, um, where a group of centrist members who had been concerned about the bill basically said that they would vote for it as long as data from the Congressional Budget Office came close to what the White House was predicting the bill would cost. Uh, That came in, or the rest, the final amount of that data came in yesterday and it was it basically matched so we saw those centrists say you know they were okay moving forward there is at least one democrat who plans to vote no pelosi can lose three uh we do not expect more than three will vote no but we also do not expect any republicans to vote for this bill across their ideological spectrum they appear to be opposed. Right. Well, the big news, of course, last night, David, where uh, at first Speaker Pelosi wanted to vote last night, uh, Kevin McCarthy using a rule of the House where a leader of either party can speak for as long as they want. 
Uh, Kevin McCarthy took advantage of that, speaking for eight hours and 32 minutes, I believe it was. Uh, the largest, the longest speech ever given on the House floor. Uh, and it was, I got to say, it was, I didn't watch the whole thing, but it was pretty exciting. Here he is about why they should not be voting on this. You're celebrating it when inflation is at a 31% hike. Gas prices, Thanksgiving, a border. Thanksgiving and David, <laughs> um, if, you, if, you <laughs> if you stayed up early enough in the morning, you would hear him starting to ramble as filibusterers always do, uh, talking about back home in Bakersfield, California. One of my top selling sandwiches still sells in some of the delis back home. They literally <laughs> call it the McCarthy sandwich. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, so what was accomplished by this, David? I, I absolutely nothing as far as I'm concerned, although I am intrigued by what is in a McCarthy sandwich. <laughs> so am I. <laughs> um, it, well, uh, a couple of things I think are going on is one, he wanted to try to he wanted to try to get the Democrats to vote on this bill at one or two o'clock in the morning so that they could use it in campaign ads. But Pelosi foiled that by just delaying the vote until this morning. So now they're going to apparently they're going to do it, you know, early Friday morning. And there's going to be plenty of reaction from the market and from other people. So I think it will. It, it, Part of his motive was to try to to force a vote in the early wee in the wee hours. But I think another reason he did it was because he, he he's in a little bit of trouble with his own caucus. You know, there's some yeah some of the real some of the real conservative members like Marjorie Taylor Greene are upset with him because he won't punish the 13 Republicans who voted for the infrastructure bill. So I think McCarthy wanted to show that he he was still in the fight and still very much against Democratic plans. So he did it in the most spectacular way he could think of by delivering an eight hour speech against it. Uh, you know, uh, another one of our uh, regulars, Jason Dick, tweeted uh, last night in the middle of McCarthy's speech, David, uh, no matter how long Kevin McCarthy speaks, Donald Trump would still stab him in the back if he had a chance. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. I don't I, don't, I seriously doubt Trump stayed up to watch this. So and he probably he's probably laughing about it along with some of some McCarthy's other critics. So I don't think it. I don't think it did him much good on the Trump score, but it may have helped him a little bit with his caucus. I mean, another thing is I basically beat the record he beat out belonged to Pelosi, did it not? Yes. So maybe that yes. was another factor for him. He wanted to trust somehow top Nancy Pelosi in something. He wanted to beat her in something, right? Yeah. So, so Eliza, the bill now let's let's assume, and uh, producer Jay Feldman is monitoring C-SPAN. So if it passes as we're speaking, uh, we will inform all of you, and Jay will inform us. Um, but assuming it passes, Eliza, it now goes to the Senate where its fate is not so certain, correct? Correct. So they've basically shaved this bill down further and further. They've gotten it about as close as they can get it to feel good in the Senate, but they're not quite there. Um, originally, earlier this summer, they said this bill was going to be three and a half trillion dollars and it was going to include all sorts of provisions that have since been um certainly shortened some taken out outright mm -hmm. because of opposition from individual senators because the senate is a 50 50 split uh democrats can use a special maneuver to pass it without any republican support similar to the house we don't expect any republican senators to get on board but every democrat needs to be on board and that means you know bernie sanders and joe manchin need to be in line on this bill and that's <laughs> really hard to do so the bill that um the house is expected to pass almost two trillion dollars we can expect that to be knocked down even further in the senate 
just already because certain provisions just might not make it through. Paid leave for new parents, for watching elderly parents, that's in the House bill. Joe Manchin has had a problem with that. That probably will not make it through the Senate version. Um, A tax, a state and local tax deduction Mm -hmm. that um, some in high tax states, New York, New Jersey, California, in the House have said that they want to basically increase the cap for some of their wealthier constituents that made it in the House bill to secure their votes. But it's facing a lot of opposition in the Senate from more progressive members like Bernie Sanders, who worry about the optics of what they say is giving a tax cut to the rich. So there's certainly things that will be taken out of that bill. And even then, we don't necessarily know if it'll make it over the finish line. If it does, it'll go back to the House and they'll have to pass it in that version. So while today is certainly a victory for Democrats, there's still a long way before Biden signs this legislation into law. Uh, It may be what we learned in high school as a Pyrrhic victory, right? Meaning it doesn't last very long. (laughs) Uh, But they can take it home next week and campaign on it um that's true and they i think have planned like a thousand something events pelosi said yesterday Mm -hmm. i mean democrats certainly will take this victory um house democrats and they they need it because they're facing a lot of headwinds going into the 22 midterms well i want to ask you about that uh, david the uh, both of you the politics of it um obviously republicans are saying this is just big spending and this is socialism uh, but there's some good stuff in here that would appeal, it seems to me, to both Republicans and Democrats, certainly uh, middle class, working class Americans. David, here is Senator Chris Murphy from Connecticut, I, I think, using the line that Democrats are going to use to talk about this Build Back Better bill. Senator Murphy. The Build Back Better agenda is all about reducing costs for average regular Americans, reducing the cost of health care, reducing the cost of energy, reducing the cost of child care. And we are going to have legislation on the floor of the Senate that dramatically cuts costs for average American families. And that legislation likely will get not a single Republican vote. So, David, is that a good message? And is the Republican message that we're just against all of this stuff a good message? How's it play? Well, for the, uh, it depends on which state you're in and which congressional district you're in. But, yeah, for a, lot, a lot of Republicans simply don't believe what Senator Murphy's saying. It's that they, they inevitably that, uh, that things will wind up costing more and that these government programs don't tend not to work out in real life the way they're theorized them. Um, now, you're right, though, that it's striking how much of this bill is directed at what you might call red states or red congressional districts. Yeah. Economists estimate that more than 80 percent of the jobs that would be created under this bill don't require a college degree. So in many ways, that's the heart of the Republican base. But I don't think it's going to do much good with Republicans. I think that they're just so anti-establishment, so anti-government, they're not going to they're just not going to respond to to any big government package, especially one that sets the kind of records that this one is setting. There's also the inflation concern, and that's, to me, that's the political issue number one that, that uh, the Democrats are dealing with. You know, the most interesting thing to me about this whole thing, but the infrastructure bill and this Build Back Better bill, is that these are these are plans that both parties will use in the election next year. The Democrats will run on it, and the Republicans will largely run opposing it, and it's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out with actual voters. 
Well, again, Eliza, on the politics, what I'd understand is the Republicans have not said uh, we have a different plan for child care, right? Or we have a different approach to universal pre-K or we have a different approach to family uh, and medical leave, right? They're just saying we're against it. Right. But they don't necessarily have to have an additional plan. That's the benefit of being in the minority. You don't have to govern. (laughs) And they are banking um, that they can really talk about spending, what David just talked about, inflation, um, and tie those together. I mean, they will concede that parts of this bill are very popular. You don't see them running against the universal Mm -hmm. pre-K or paid leave even, especially the family-focused provisions. That's not what they're talking about. They're digging into that state and local tax deduction that I brought up earlier, which is really, you know, you can market that as a tax cut for the wealthy. They are pulling and they're picking out the things that are the least popular, and that's what they're focused on. And then they're talking about overall costs. But yeah, when you're in the minority, that's the benefit. You don't necessarily have to propose an alternative. Um, and, you know, Republicans don't believe the government should be spending that much money. That's just a fundamental Republican belief. So they don't mm-hmm. necessarily want <laughs> to provide an alternative. Uh, unless you're Donald Trump and you're spending it on the wall, of course. Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> that was an editorial comment. But all right, David, we um, saw something last week, a very rare sight. You've covered the White House for many, many years. Uh, how long has it been since you saw a group of bipartisan members <laughs> of Congress standing in back of the president to sign a, any bill? And this was, of course, the big infrastructure bill. Pretty rare, huh? I, I can't I can't even remember the last time it happened because <laughs> I, I think starting with the health care, there's really the health care bill back in, oh, what, 10 really, really cleaved the parties to, to an astonishing yeah. degree. So I'm, yeah. I think we probably have to go back to maybe uh, Bush's education bill, maybe. Mm hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it's been a long time. So, yeah, it was, it was quite – and you know, bipartisan only indefinite. There weren't a lot of Republicans there. and uh, No, so it but – it was a very small – it was a very small crowd from the minority party. So, but, but it was a bipartisan bill and a bipartisan signing, and you're right. It's something increasingly rare, and it's probably going to stay rare for the foreseeable future. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's $1.2 trillion for infrastructure, basic stuff, you know, roads, highways, sewer treatment plans, water treatment plans, uh, uh, a, a, a real BFD. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it's interesting because you, you'll see Republicans campaign against that in, 20, in 2002, but you'll see other Republicans, including Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell, who will campaign for it. I mean, McConnell's been going all over the country extolling the virtues of the infrastructure bill. And seriously, it's just a matter of time before Donald Trump rec- picks up on this and starts criticizing him for it. But you'll see some, you'll see some Republicans who will take credit for the projects uh, that yes. will be developed under this bill. And meanwhile, you've got others who are just criticizing the whole idea in general. Mitch McConnell even calling it a godsend, right, right. for, for, godsend for Kentucky. Kentucky. Yes, yes yeah. but Eliza, 13 House Republicans dared... Uh, uh, represent their district and say, no, we need this new bridge or this new highway or whatever. And uh, there's a lot of clamor, as David indicated earlier, in the House to punish these 13 uh, Republicans. Is that going to happen? What's your read? Well, we're not really sure, but exactly to David's point that this is going to not be something we're seeing again anytime soon, I don't expect, because of exactly how this is playing out. So in the Senate, 19 Republicans, including McConnell, um, voted for this legislation. Some of them helped draft it. We are seeing sort of a different conversation happening in the Senate than the House. Um, 
The senators are out there saying this is a good bill. The House, it got more complicated because the progressive wing demanded that the infrastructure bill be tied to this Build Back Better bill. Earlier on, they felt like they said they supported the infrastructure bill, but it was far too small. And they worried that if they passed it on its own, the centrists like Cinema and Mansion, who really wanted the infrastructure bill, would not support the Build Back Better. So that worked for a couple of months. Um, and earlier this month, we finally saw that break and the House went ahead and passed the infrastructure bill with the help of Republicans. It would not have passed without Republicans because six liberal members voted no. And so I think the key here is that the Republicans put it over the finish line. Um, McCarthy and GOP leadership had whipped against this, saying, you know, that if Republicans supported this bill, it would help Democrats. And so that's where we're really seeing digging in. And just it's a perfect example of what a mess the House is, how partisan and really just how angry it is. I mean, we saw Marjorie Taylor Greene tweet out the phone numbers of the 13 members in her own party. She called them traitors. They've gotten death threats. And then what you asked me about earlier, there's been a push to have them removed from their committee assignments, especially John Katko, who is um, a congressman from New York, who is the top Republican on the House Homeland Security Committee. So, so far, McCarthy's just basically try to tamp this down, saying Republicans need to stay united against the Democrats' agenda. It's not going away. Um, I asked him at a press conference yesterday about it, actually, and he basically just ignored my question and said, we're united on, you know, keeping inflation (laughs) down and securing the border. And he just sort of went through their list of messaging. But this is a problem for McCarthy. Um, And those 13 members are sort of this more centrist members. Many of them come from more competitive districts. And if you're in the majority, you need to protect those members because those are your majority makers. So um, might not be as big of a deal right now, but if they take power next year, McCarthy's going to have to figure out how to protect his centrists from calls from his right flank, because this could be a real problem in some competitive districts. Well, if those 13 have not lost their committee assignments, Paul Gosar did this week, not by Republicans, but by uh, the Democrats taking stripping his committee assignments from him. Um, how popular is Paul Gosar? Well, among his family, uh, he's not, not exactly winning <laughs> any popularity awards. Here is uh, his brother, Tim talking about what should happen to his brother, Congressman Paul. Uh, I believe he's dangerous, unhinged, and is reckless, and is um, somebody that, as we've and I've said before, needs to not only be um, um, censored, but he needs to be expelled. (laughs) So, David, what impact does this censorship have, if any? Uh, Not much. I think it just increases the... uh the personal enmity that we see up in Capitol Hill that, that Eliza just referenced. I, I just think it's going to make feelings a lot harder. And um, it's uh, it's just, to me, it's just a sad situation. I mean, it was a, a stupid ad to be sure. It, it was a good, first of all, I don't think Gosar had anything to do with it. I think one of his people did it because it was based on, on these Japanese cartoons. I believe they're called anime. Oh yeah. Right. And they they feature a lot of the video. The, you're talking about the video that Gosar posted, yes, right? Me. Yeah. It was a, it was kind of a campaign ad, but yes, basically it was a takeoff on that with Gosar's head and AOC's head and Biden's head superimposed on some of the characters. So 
it was just, it was just kind of a stupid ad that I don't think he had any idea what it, what it, what it was or it, that it was even running. It was, a, it was, uh, it was, it was pretty out there and, uh, it's, it reflects a lot of things. It reflects the Republicans increasing talk about violence and they're increasing. It's just amazing how, how the party keeps talking about wanting to fight their people and even hurt them physically. I mean, we've got another ad in Arizona from a Senate campaign with the guy holding an automatic rifle in his hands, talking about the need for gun rights to protect yourselves against your enemies. It's a it's a disturbing thing, but it's, an, it's increasingly common in Republican circles. And I'm afraid we're going to see more of it, despite uh, Gosar's punishment. Right. Uh, so, Eliza, uh, the uh, the video, rather, the anime, however you pronounce that video that Gosar posted, um, you know, he took it down after a conversation with uh, Kevin McCarthy. But yesterday, after the censorship, or maybe a couple of days ago, he put it back up again right away, right? I mean, a, a, sort of a big FU, it seems to me, to the, to the in, entire House. Uh, and on the floor, um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a congresswoman, who was the a target, if you will, of this video, um, responded to Kevin McCarthy saying, this is no big deal. Here's uh, the congresswoman. It is a sad day in which a member who leads a political party in the United States of America cannot bring themselves to say that issuing a depiction of murdering a member of Congress is wrong. And instead, decides to venture off into a tangent about gas prices and inflation. What is so hard? What is so hard about saying that this is wrong? Without getting too political, uh, Liz Cheney made the same point in her speech on the floor, Eliza. They've got a point, right? At one time, people would just say, it doesn't matter, Republican or Democrat, you can't go out there suggesting violence against a fellow member of Congress. Right. And this goes with what I think we were talking about earlier, just how angry the place has become. I mean, there is just no trust there. Um, yeah. Gosar in his speech ahead of or ahead of the censure vote. Basically, he was not sorry. He does not feel badly. He said that he posted this um, as a way to reach a larger audience. You know, I don't condone violence, he said, but this was not violent. This was not a threat. It's the threat is um immigration is really what he said. And so that's why we did see him put it back up. He does not feel badly. Um, Republicans were united or mostly united, but besides Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, who at this point are almost not even Republicans in terms of these types of things, they break with the party a lot. Um, and we heard from some of the more sort of establishment, longtime members who've been there when things were a little bit more normal. Their argument was that Democrats acted too quickly, did not do an ethics investigation, did not go through sort of the normal processes and talked about how unprecedented it was for one party to remove another members of another party from committee assignments. Earlier this year, we saw this with um, Marjorie Taylor Greene for her embrace of conspiracy theories. But basically, their argument is that this is unprecedented territory. And if and when the Republicans take the gavel back, all bets are off. And we've seen McCarthy over the last couple of days talk about which members he plans to target. So I think this will just get worse um, in terms of what happens in the House. I mean, McCarthy mm -hmm. has talked about comments Congresswoman Ilhan Omar has made, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, 
And yesterday during a press conference, he said, you know, the majority will have to check off who ends up on committee assignments. I cannot imagine a world where Republicans let those two stay on committees or at least stay on top committees. And McCarthy sort of as a way to dig in yesterday said, not only would Gosar and Marjorie Taylor Greene be put back on their committee assignments when Republicans take the majority, but they might get better committee assignments. <laughs> so this just shows not only are people you know, trying to brush this under the rug, they're becoming defiant. And I think that's just because they're so angry at each other. They're not even looking at what's actually being discussed anymore. Well, uh, it's time to take a break, but before we do, I can't resist. You're talking about McCarthy is uh, talking, assuming, right, that he's going to be the next Speaker of the House of Representatives. But yesterday, former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows suggested on Steve Bannon's podcast, of all places, that the next Speaker of the House should be, are you sitting down? Donald Trump. (laughs) Well, you don't have to be a member of the House, right? <laughs> but David, what are they doing? Are they just jerking people's chains? Here? I think so. Uh, this is a fantasy that was. Pro- I can't remember who <laughs> brought this up to Trump at Mar-a-Lago earlier this year. I think it was a, a member of Congress, but I'm not sure. But yeah, someone someone brought it up to Trump. Says, you know, you don't have to be a member of Congress. You could be Speaker of the House. And and Trump said, supposedly said, oh, that's an interesting idea. That's an interesting idea. And it, it's of course it's gradually spilled out into the as yeah, as I, with anything else said to Donald Trump, it spills out into the public arena. You know, yeah. Matt Gates, the congressman, who says if he's reelected and is back in Congress, he's going to actually nominate Trump to be speaker. So <laughs> something that could come up. Also, as a part of this, another fantasy, the, this whole idea that somehow the Republican, the new Republican Congress is going to somehow impeach and remove Biden and impeach and remove Harris. And yeah. thereby Trump would become president because he would be speaker of the House. It's, uh, it's yeah. just it's just it's just part of the fantastical some of the fantastical notions we have surrounding American politics these days. By the way, can any of us imagine Donald Trump actually going into the Congress in the House of Representatives every day and presiding over that zoo or trying to? No. That's one of the reasons I don't think he he says he's not going to do it. And that's one of the reasons that I think he won. He had to be be in Washington every week. I don't think. Yeah. What'd you say, Eliza? Oh, I was just going to say the whole job is wrangling members. I mean, yeah, it's, a hard, yeah. it's a hard, pretty miserable job. And uh, that has not been his specialty when he was president. <laughs> he certainly wasn't bringing people right. together. To say the, the least. David Jackson, Eliza Collins, hold on there for just a second as we take a quick break. And then we'll come back with today's roundtable on the Bill Press Pod. Today's roundtable is brought to you by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. Yes, the largest and most diverse of all of our labor unions, the Teamsters, representing over 1.2 million American workers in every field of endeavor, from vegetable workers in California to bakery workers in Maine. As they say, they represent everybody from A to Z, from airline pilots to zookeepers. Check out their website at teamster.org for more information. We salute the members of the Teamsters Union under President Jim Hoffa and thank them for the great work they do uh, for all of us and all of us Americans, and especially for their support of the Bill Press Pod. (sighs) The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. 
There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And we're back with today's roundtable. Eliza Collins joining us from the Wall Street Journal and David Jackson from USA Today uh, as the House continues to get ready to vote on the Build Big Back, Build Back Better bill. Uh, so let's go back to the beginning of the week, uh, David and Eliza. Steve Bannon turning himself in. Uh, he will be in the courtroom, I guess, pretty soon. Uh, David, is he going to spend any time in jail? He might spend a little bit of time in jail, but he might he might welcome that. I, I think Bannon's just loving every minute of it because he can portray himself as a rebel against the system that he wants to to take down. So he's portraying um, himself that way already, right? Oh yeah, yeah, and he's going to continue to do so. It's going to be it's it's really turning into a spectacle, which is what he wants. It's also delaying the January sixth commission investigation, which is what he wants. That's another thing that might have if the Republicans do take the House, that commission is obviously going away. So that's another thing to think about, but. Um, that's, that's a good question. I guess it's up to the judge in, in Washington how he feels about it and whether he, whether he thinks that's sufficient punishment, because I don't think Bannon is going to give in and provide any testimony to the committee. So there's going to be some judge or judges in Washington who are going to have to decide whether it's worth p- putting him in the clink for over. Uh, who's next, Eliza? Uh, well, currently Mark Meadows is um, also defying requests from the committee. I mean, it has not gotten as far as Bannon, but the uh, committee is figuring out what to do next. And similarly to Bannon, Meadows is not showing any signs of deciding to show up. So I think, and this is not going away, but to David's point, we've got, you know, potential just another year, maybe more. Um, so the committee's trying to work as fast as they can, but it's slow and it's really slow when people don't cooperate with you. Uh, uh, yes. And they, they haven't seen that much cooperation. Maybe uh, they've talked to some people privately, right? But no, Nothing right. that we These know about. Big names that would, you know, know a lot of information. But one of them was Alyssa Fair, the former communications director, who wound up getting attacked by Trump over it. Yeah. Uh, well, two people we know that are two characters, I guess we know, that will not be spending any time uh, behind bars are peanut butter and jelly. Um, they're the two turkeys that President Biden is going to pardon later today. So <laughs> we know at least uh, somebody's safe here. I wanted to ask both of you about uh, Vice President Kamala Harris. I don't 
recall anybody getting so much bad press all at one time. Uh, what's going on, Eliza? What's the beef over Kamala Harris? You know, we've been seeing this. You said any one time. It's definitely bad now, but it has sort of bubbled up at various points. Um, and even I covered the Democratic primary. I wasn't focused on Harris, but this was happening um, during then, too. I mean, I think she has struggled with her staff and David covers the White House, so he'll know certainly more than I will. But, um, you know, she's had some pretty thankless jobs in the White House dealing with the border. Um, and so some of this is just, I think, generally people pointing, blaming her for things like that. But I think there's no denying there's been enough reporting that there are issues with the way um, her office has operated and handled some of these things. Is there any particular... Um thing you can point to that she's done like wrong or been an embarrassment to the administration? David, I can't think of anything. And yet there is a spate of negative press. What's going on? No, I, I, I guess unless you count her laughter during the Lester Holt interview, it's some a question about the border. I mean, uh, there's a feeling that she she sometimes handles public appearances and interviews awkwardly, but that, that's obviously a minor complaint. You know, presidents and vice presidents, their staffs are always feuding with each other. I mean, certainly that was the case with Trump and Pence, and uh, it was even the case with Clinton and Gore way back when. And reporters are always eager to do stories about fighting between the president and the vice president. In this case, the reporters are finding a lot of aides who are willing to participate in those stories. Mm -hmm. That hasn't been the case with recent presidents. These people have kind of minded their P's and Q's. But in, in, in this White House, there, there, uh, there are some people who are happy to talk about the friction that exists. You know, when Harris was named the running mate, she inherited some of they, the Biden people sent over some of their people to work with the Harris people. And that relationship has just never flowered. Just, there's always been friction and tension there. And I think you're seeing some of that manifested. I think another thing that's going on with these stories is that, uh, you know, there's the, there, there's an increasing amount of rumors that President Biden may not seek a second term in 2024. In theory, that would leave the field open to Harris, but a lot of Democrats don't want that. So there's a, there's a feeling in town that some other Democrats are trying to rough up Harris just in case she, to try to prevent her from becoming the heir apparent in 2024, if it comes to that. Right. Yeah. And not not to be here uh, myself as a defender of Harris, I'm just curious uh, what people um, are looking for that they don't find in her and, and what the problem is. I remember <laughs> Geraldine Ferraro, remember, when she was the candidate, right. she said her job as vice president, you die, I fly. Right. Uh, so well, her, a lot of uh, Harris's people feel like it's because, you know, it's as simple as the fact that she's a woman and a person of color. And I, I think there is well, something to that. Yeah. I think the fascination behind I, those two facts are, are contributing to some of these stories. There's, yeah. I want to ask you about that, that Eliza. That's what uh, press secretary Jen Psaki said today is behind a lot of it. Or she said it this week, rather. I mean, there's no denying that it is a harder road for women and especially women of color in politics. Um, I think that there is added criticism. I mean, I see this when I write stories about Harris, the reader emails, you know, tend to be worse. But hmm. um, I don't know exactly how much of this it's fueling. But I think you can't deny that it's a factor. Right. Uh, and th this week, we all saw her communications director is leaving and people immediately jumped on that, right, as a sign that Harris is in trouble. Um, I don't know. Um, we've all three been around Washington. There are members of staffs that come and go all the time, right? right. Um, well, she's just, 
at the end, it's just been made a scapegoat, I think, for a lot of this stuff. And I don't understand why they decided to do that now. You know, a week after these stories, the communications director right. is no longer at the White House. I mean, it's just not a good look. You'd think they'd at least let the whole staff stay over until the start of the new year. But right. I don't run things over there. So, uh, Well, one thing we know for sure, that if President Biden does not run for re-election, uh, Kamala Harris will not have an open shot at the nomination in 2024. Well, I think that, I think that's what this is all about. I, really uh, think that's it. I think a lot of it is, in fact, yeah. Well, um, we do not have a vote yet. Um, maybe by the time you hear this uh, podcast, there will be a vote. It is uh, uh, the House is in session uh, as we speak. So we'll uh, leave you and let you all of you track that uh, during the day and the days that follow. Uh, thanks to Eliza Collins and David Jackson. Sorry, Jennifer Habercorn. Uh, well, she's got a job to do, wasn't able to join us. But before we let the two of you go, uh, with all of that going on this week, there must have been something that really stuck, struck you, stood out, and caused you to stop and think about your favorite story of the week. Uh, Eliza, start us off. Yeah, so um, the Arizona Republic, my hometown newspaper, and there you go. the USA Today Network, That's right. David, <laughs> um, came out with a just a really deep dive, months in the making sort of timeline of um, behind the scenes of the Arizona election audit. Mm. They've been doing like such good reporting on the audit. Um, and they've just gotten a lot of people to dish about what happened. There's just details that have not been revealed before about pressures from former President Trump. And it's a long read, but it's definitely worth your time. They've just done such a good job covering it. Did Joe Biden win Arizona? Joe Biden won Arizona. Oh, nearly, okay. but he won Arizona. And that's what the audit showed, too. So um, for all the drama around it, it did just actually reinforce what happened. How about you, David? What caught your attention? Like I say, there's way too much politics in the world. I was intrigued by the stories that we've got to. I'm going back to movies again. You know, oh, right. the the year. Thanksgiving's coming, so we got a slew of all the big movies that people want for Oscar contention are getting ready to come out. So I'm Ooh. looking forward to that. We've got the Gucci movie, movie about the Gucci family with Lady Gaga and uh, Adam Driver and Al Pacino and a host of tremendous actors. In it that's coming out i think uh, november weekend and aaron sorkin our old friend the man who created oh. the west wing oh yeah his new movie is about uh one of the most influential figures of the 20th century in my view lucille ball and oh, uh yeah so it's uh it's it's called meet the ricardos and it's uh, it's, it's going to be a very interesting look and in fact it focuses on the fact that they at one point they tried to red bait poor old lucy and to try to portray her as a communist so that's what the film focuses on and that's one i'm looking forward to as well well she had red hair Blackhead red hair, yes. I'm drawing a blank. Tom Cruise is excellent. Nicole Kidman plays Lucille Ball, and Javier Bardem is Desi Arnaz. So a spectacular cast in that one, too. Boy, I cannot remember the last time I was in a movie theater. Yeah, that's another thing that I'm looking for. A lot of these are going to be in the theaters, so we all get to uh, rejoin the experience of that. So, And that's something to look forward to as well. Well, uh, my favorite story of the week, actually, I go back to politics, uh, happened yesterday here in Washington, D.C., uh, at the Christian Science Monitor Breakfast, the chair of the Republican National Committee, Ronna McDaniel, Mitt Romney's niece, which she tries to make everybody forget, she actually, for the first time ever, admitted that Joe Biden won the election last year. Uh, now, this is over a year later, but she finally, finally admitted it. She, it was painful to admit, but she admitted it. Um, 
Just for the record, however, <laughs> Donald Trump still doesn't admit it. But I guess it's progress when the RNC chair a year later yes. <laughs> finally fesses up. Oh, God, how sad, how sad. I'm sure she'll be admonished by that for, by that, for that by Trump very soon. I'm surprised he hasn't. Well, of course, he can't tweet, right? Right. But I'm surprised that we haven't seen a statement from the from the former president already attacking Rona McDaniel. Well, it takes him a while to pack, catch up on some of these news stories, so maybe he doesn't know. <laughs> okay. Eliza and David, thank you so much for joining us again. Great, great conversation. And thank you all for listening. Uh, we will be back on Tuesday with our next podcast. In the meantime, have a great weekend. Take care of yourselves. And an early uh, happy Thanksgiving, at least preparations for Thanksgiving. Uh, we'll see you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.